up, you guys? Welcome to episode 13 of Talk Healing to Me. This is Christina, your host, breathwork facilitator, and you might hear me sniffing, sniffling throughout this intro and this interview. So just a heads up, I had like a sinus infection, which I'm thinking was tied to that two 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 day and they call it ascension flu people probably think are gonna think I'm crazy but I usually like I'm like mm, yeah, I don't know about that you just kind of are experiencing you know a sinus infection because of physical reasons but those few days okay they were maybe I should just do a whole podcast episode on what I was experiencing those days physically mentally emotionally it just felt like I was shedding some crap to just like you know like shedding old skin or something or like purging old parts of myself anyways let's get to what this episode is about so in this episode I interviewed Marina Kirk who is a health coach, yoga teacher, meditation teacher. She does breath work. She's just combined all the things that she's learned plus a little spice. She has now started to work with psychedelic assisted therapy. And I was super intrigued by this because I keep coming across all these articles podcasts, YouTube videos, whatever, all about how science is now discovering the benefits of psychedelic assisted therapy or using psychedelics for mental health benefits. So I really, when I found out that she was doing this, I was like, oh, I have to, I have to bring her on here because I want to hear, I want to hear about this. Um, But we also go into her experience going from the corporate life and that stress that comes along with it and then her transition from that quitting her job and going into full-time doing what she loves her purpose and healing her body healing her mind emotional health all of it the whole holistic perspective of healing so so if this sounds up your alley keep listening and If this speaks to you, if for any reason this inspires you or you feel like this was really helpful, then please send to your friends, send to people you love, post it. The more we can spread these messages to the world, the better world that we'll have, honestly. Like that domino effect, not that domino effect, that ripple effect is so freaking powerful. So let's get to it. Hi, Marina. Hey, Christina. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I'm excited, actually really excited to hear about your story because, first of all, we met in Tulum. <laughs> where I still am. <laughs> where you still are. <laughs> I never left. This is November 2020 that I met you there, right? Was it November? Yeah, and it November 2020. And you were immediately pretty cool, actually. Like, I didn't know what to expect going into Tulum, not really knowing anybody. And then I went to, I think it was at this, that event, right? The, yeah, the name of it. The mindset Tulum event. Yeah. 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 So that event and um, you were immediately like welcoming towards me and, and cool. So um, 
but we never really discussed your story, how you got to where you are today. So can you first start explaining what you do today? Yeah, how, yeah, how we can you, start there. How you serve the world, what your purpose is. Love it. We can start there and work backwards. So um, I am a holistic stress coach. I focus on stress and the way that it affects the mind, body, and emotional health. So a lot of my work um, was previously more focused on physical health, you know, healthy eating, um, mindful eating, um, quality sleep, getting mindful movement in. I'm a certified yoga um, teacher and a holistic health coach. Um, but as far as mental health goes, I'm also a certified meditation coach and I lead breath work um, similarly to uh, kind of what you do. Mm-hmm. And that has kind of shifted my focus more and more into the area of mental health and all the way out to emotional health. Um, it's interesting because my work has evolved pretty recently as well to add on the mm-hmm. new layer of psychedelic assisted therapy. So this is something that's brand new um, for many of us in the coaching space and in the personal development space. But um, that's been super profound and healing for so many of my clients that I am really excited to be doing it and talking about it um, just to try to remove the stigma around mental health and um, really getting alternative forms of treatment um, to address all of these different areas, right. The mind body and our emotional body. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's kind of my background as far as, um, coaching wise. Um, a lot of it was born out of my own corporate burnout. So, um, over seven years, um, before starting my um, coaching journey, I was in the corporate world. Um, I was first a consultant traveling often, living in for Chicago and then New York city. Is that where you were born? I'm sorry. To um, oh no, that. I'm actually from Ukraine. Yeah. Okay. That's what I remember. Yeah, I grew up in Ukraine and then I moved to Chicago when I was 11. Um, but yeah, Chicago is, has been my hometown. Um, and then I spent three years in New York city. And when I was in New York, I pivoted to project and program management. It was, um, a really crazy time living in New York and working in the startup environment. I was working, um, gosh, probably like at least nine hour days. Um, if not more, I was keeping up with everything on the weekend as well. And beyond that, I was trying to maintain a social life, trying to be a good friend, trying to be a good partner. And, um, right around 2018, I also started my own wellness journey. So that's when I started getting my certifications and my coaching training and all of that was happening. Why did you start that? Yeah. So kind of going back to 2015, that was when I reached kind of my low point that started everything for me. Um, I, you know, it's funny at the time I didn't realize any of this was going on. It was just so common, right? Everyone is super stressed, um, at work. Uh, you know, we have this language with our team members and this kind of like bonding over certain coping mechanisms that we have like happy hours and, you know, drinking caffeine to survive and just stay afloat throughout the days, just waiting for that happy hour, 5 PM, um, time. And, um, I was crashing in the office. I definitely had symptoms of adrenal fatigue again that I now have the understanding of. At the time, I had no idea what was wrong with me and why I couldn't keep up with um, the fast pace that everyone else was going at. 
And in 2015, I was on a specific work trip. This is back when I was a consultant. I was in Minneapolis and I was all by myself on this work trip with a client. It was me and 20 of their executives. I was leading workshops on, um, I was, uh, my background is in HR. So I was doing technology implementations for the HR function. And I just remember that week I was on site for maybe four days. I was having trouble sleeping. I was having such high stress that I was having heart palpitations. I feel like my blood pressure was just through the roof because I remember getting up from the desk at the end of the day of leading these workshops. And you and I know that talking is a sympathetic activity. Talking takes a lot of energy and it raises our stress level beyond, you know, whatever might already be there just Mm -hmm. at rest. And so I just remember getting up from the desk at the end of these days and I was seeing stars because I was so exhausted. I wasn't sleeping well. I was so anxious. Mm. I felt like I didn't know why I was trying to work so hard on something I didn't really care for. Mm. And it was just this whole kind of spiral that was happening um, at this time. I remember on the weekends, I again would cope through alcohol. I would go out in Chicago. We have such a huge party culture. Um, And beyond party culture, I mean, it is a big city for going out and for sports. So with that, you know, there's a big drinking culture already. Um, And just the only way that I feel like I knew how to have fun at the time was by way of alcohol. I couldn't imagine like having a trip or having a night out without having a a component of alcohol there. And again, looking back on that, obviously, I now know that that was the way that I could keep, you know, thinking about not working on my purpose and my anxiety and all of these things at bay. um, Because it's really just such a powerful numbing mechanism for so many of us. So Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, being super stressed on weekends, coming back from that trip, that kind of is what started it because on that specific trip, I was having a conversation with my roommate. I called her because I was having all of these symptoms. I was having trouble falling asleep. Um, it was just, everything was kind of reaching its peak. And she said, I think you have anxiety. And I literally remember asking, what is that? Mm-hmm. And I went all the way back in our conversation. I scroll back. This is one of my best friends still. Scroll back to 2015, 2015. And um, just reading through that, those text messages and that text message exchange. And I was going on Amazon and looking up like different herbs and supplements that could help me. I was Googling, you know, mm-hmm. what can help with stress. So I think I got like a cheap knockoff, like, supplement with B vitamins in it that I remember it dyed my urine yellow. And I was like, this doesn't seem to be doing anything for me. So um, it's funny, you know, I think we choose to create change in personal development. We say it happens for two reasons out of inspiration and out of desperation. So for me, unfortunately, it was from the latter. Yep, same. <laughs> um, and that's kind of what started this unraveling of over the next few years, I started to learn as much as I could about health and wellness. I took my first yoga class coming back from that trip, um, started meditating and just really diving into holistic health. Then I realized that I was spending all my free time on weekends and evenings reading, looking at documentaries, listening to podcasts about health and biohacking specifically. And it was making such an impact in my life, Um, juicing, turning to, you know, ways to reduce caffeine, Um, just all of these amazing things. And the more that I kind of lived that lifestyle outside of work, the more I realized that this is what I really want to spend my life doing. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was a long transition period. I mean, from 2015 to 2020, when I 
went to coaching full time. Um, but yeah, it was, um, it's definitely been a journey to get to here, but I'm so grateful to be doing this now and really sharing what helped me, um, get through those periods of the chronic stress, the overwhelm, the anxiety to really living kind of my best being at my best so far keyword so far, so I'm far. definitely better than I've ever felt healthier than I've ever felt. Um, my stress is definitely under control. Um, so yeah, that's a little bit about how I got to today. Mm-hmm. Um, thank you for sharing all that. Um, what did that journey look like? Because, and I don't, I know you shared a lot of it, but I'm, I'm trying to get to what did it look like that transition look like? Because it's not easy to just, you know, you don't just snap a finger and then jump from, you know, one way of a lifestyle to another. Like what did that transition look like from you being stressed and, you know, working at a job that wasn't making you happy and drinking all this coffee and drinking alcohol? Like how was it transitioning from that to starting to take care of yourself and getting into this new way of looking at life and living. Yeah. So I think the first step is definitely healing yourself. And that was really eye-opening for me. It took a couple of years of really fully getting into a great routine of eating healthier foods, of eliminating the things that I know um, don't make me feel good, being more intuitive with my body, um, starting to exercise and do yoga regularly. All of those things helped me so much. I improved my sleep so much. Um, I think I got an aura ring back in 2017 and that was so eye opening of just the way that my lifestyle was impacting my sleep quality and how then my sleep quality impacted my day-to-day life. So Mm -hmm. I think you have to kind of live through that process for yourself before you can teach others. Mm -hmm. So that for me took a couple of years of really just, um, staying in corporate, but trying my best to just get healthier, um, trying to, you know, achieve a lot. So there's definitely that element of still trying to keep up in that fast pace, especially in New York. It's so, um, in some instances, it's really cutthroat, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Just everyone trying to excel and um, ascend in the corporate world all together at the expense of each other Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes. So um, yeah, a couple of years of just um, really focusing on myself, my own health, And then really it started, um, I think at the end of 2017 and 2018, when I took my yoga certification and I originally really did it just for me. And I think that was such an eye-opening and profound experience. It was so healing. It was a five month program that I did on weekends on the upper West side of New York. So it was, it almost felt like I was living this double life of just this, you know, being in this environment of drinking still and happy hours and like the afternoon glass of wine and, you know, just still trying to um, kind of be in the corporate world, but then also having this time on the weekends of diving in on yoga philosophy and figuring out how to be a better person. And Mm -hmm. um, they felt kind of very at odds with each other. And that's when I first became present to how it felt like I was living a double life. And at that point, you know, I really started to realize this is probably the direction that I need to go now from there. And for anyone who's maybe in a similar position where maybe you're in a job that you don't yet love, or, you know, 
maybe it's really just not the place for you um, and you want to quit, but you aren't sure what, what to do and how to make that transition. I really recommend being intentional with that move because one of my goals was to not make decisions out of fear. So although I think it's often glorified to just quit your job, ship your laptop back to your company and just, you know, go to Bali or start traveling or do whatever. Um, I think for a couple weeks, that will be really freeing and you'll have an amazing reset. But then, you know, we might be faced with, okay, well, what's next? And I actually see a lot of people go through that here in Tulum where after burnout and after going so hard for so long, right, going from school to maybe grad school to the corporate world, no breaks. Of course, you know, when we're in our mid 20s to early 30s, we're reaching kind of like, oh, my gosh, I have to keep this up for 30 more years. So a lot of people come here after that burnout, they quit, they're just healing their body, healing their mind. But I really think that most of us want to have that factor of like, what to do next, the contribution, the purpose, right? Especially mm -hmm. with our, um, I think with the millennial generation, we're so focused on finding our calling. And I think that's a beautiful thing. And I think that's also a privileged thing, something that maybe our parents never had a chance to really discover for themselves. And we have that opportunity. And so I think being really intentional of that discovery of what's next, I wanted to gradually discover that for myself throughout you know, while still maintaining my nine to five so that I could be fully ready to take that on um, when the time was right. Now, I will say that thinking that there's such a place as being fully ready does not exist mm -hmm. <laughs> in many regards, like still with the evolution of my work and my coaching constantly adding on new layers and, you know, different audiences that I speak to, it's still constantly an evolution in progress. So that might have been, you know, something that I really tried to prepare for that was maybe a little misguided. I thought, you know, that, that there's going to come a day where I just feel 100% ready and that is the day where I will resign. Yeah. Um, but it was really, really gradual. And I think learning um, and being intentional with my learning on the weekends and the evenings to really think about what kind of life I want to create after I do quit this job that isn't maybe serving my highest purpose, my highest calling. Um, I really wanted to find that um, to be in a more lasting and a more fulfilling place. So um, yeah, I actually just talked about this on another podcast of um, we called it smooth sailing out of corporate because I think being <laughs> intentional with the transition is so important so that you don't find yourself in panic mode, maybe, you know, a couple weeks to a couple months after making such a huge decision and just kind of bringing yourself all the way right back into that place of anxiety and overwhelm and thinking about what's next. So, yeah, I hope hopefully that explains kind of the, the transition because going back all the way to 2015 of finding that moment of like, okay, something has to change to 2020 when I finally decide to leave and feel up to that point as ready as I could have been. It's a long chunk of time. Mm -hmm. And I do, you know, I know a lot of people who create a shorter time frame for themselves and I always honor that. And maybe I even look up to that mm -hmm. <laughs> and maybe I wish it took um, a shorter um, time for me, but I know that everything was so exactly as it's meant to be. I learned exactly what I needed to in my corporate job. Um, and another, the last thing I'll say is I was really fortunate to bring some of my wellness to work with those last two years. So from 2018 to 2020, 
I was hosting workshops at work. Actually, I was teaching yoga and mindfulness and hosting workshops on the weekends as well. So a lot of my coworkers were interested in that. So um, when I realized that I was living that double life, it was like so polarizing. I was like, well, it doesn't have to be this way. How can I blend this a little bit better? Mm-hmm. So um, for anyone too, who feels like they might be, you know, hiding their hobbies in the closet or anything like that. I think especially post COVID, we're so much more welcoming because um, I have a lot of corporate clients that now um, have me do meditations and desk yoga and things like that. Mm-hmm. I think the corporate world is definitely opening up to more creativity people starting to quote unquote, bring their full selves to work. Um, It's just so important to, you know, really connect better with people and understand the full extent of who each one of our coworkers is now than ever before. Um, And I think that's one of the benefits that the pandemic really made possible. So is that what, when you ended up quitting, was that when the pandemic happened? Yeah. So it was April, 2020, um, April 3rd, I believe to be exact. And I would say, you know, up to that point, I felt as ready as I could have. And I felt very good about that day being the day that, um, I really made the transition. So I felt supported by everyone at work. Um, up to that point, I've kind of talked their ear off about wellness. So everyone, you know, kind of realized that this is where I was really being pulled. And I was, I felt secure in my own knowledge. I feel like I have lived my own transition up to that point from burnout to just such a better place, even despite the pandemic. I think if I didn't have my own wellness practices and my own healthy ways to cope up to that point, the pandemic would have been a lot harder on me. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was still obviously hard on all of us, but, um, you know, finding yourself and feeling grounded despite all the chaos is so important. Um, So I was really grateful to have done the work up to that point to just feel much more supported. um, And especially with the timing. Yeah. I think um, it comes almost very naturally to us to compare with other people's experiences going back to when you said, you know, you wish it would have taken a little bit less time, but I was recently talking to someone who works for a corporate as well. And they have this very spiritual side and, and the wellness focused side. And they were like, I don't know, I feel like I need to quit. And then when they realized, wait, I can actually bring all of this to my company. And now they're leading wellness workshops and things at the job that they currently work at. So it's a beautiful thing that it kind of unfolded the way that it did for you, because who knows how many lives you changed by staying and sharing what you did there and how that prepared you for what exactly what you do now today. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think that um, something that rings true for me um, with the work that I do, you know, from yoga to mindfulness to breath work to now psychedelic therapy is knowledge is a poor replacement for experience. And it's Mm -hmm. almost like, you know, we can read so many books about health and wellness. We can, you know, understand different dietary theories. We can understand different breath practices. We can conceptually understand those things, but until you really experience it and feel it in your body, um, it's just not the same Mm -hmm. at all. And I'm really grateful for having stayed in corporate and had the career that I was very successful in and very happy with up to that point, despite the toll that it took on my body, Mm -hmm. because it allows me to really see and understand and meet people where they are. Um, because I've experienced it. And so many of the people that I worked with had experienced it. So having that 
common language with people now, those that I work with. Um, I'm very grateful for that. So that's one of the ways that I make myself, I remind myself of, uh, you know, the purpose behind staying as long as I did. So um, thank you for, for that too. Yeah, of course. Um, now though, you, so after you quit, what did your life look like from there until now? Like how did your life completely change? Cause I'm sure it completely changed from that moment forward. Like, what did it look like? Because yeah. a lot of people really want to do what you did, what you've done. You know, a lot of people, especially after the pandemic, people are realizing like, I'm not really happy in this position that I'm in right now. And some people really quit and some people stayed. So you gradually did all these things to take care of yourself. And that's what it takes, of course. And maybe you can start small, little ways that you take care of yourself on a daily basis. And then that'll make you wake up to, wow, okay, this is really affecting my life. Then you'll start adding more things and more things. And over time, you start to really value wellness and taking care of yourself. And then you got to the point where you felt safe enough to make that decision. So for anyone yeah. who's in that position, um, if you could say anything that could make them kind of I don't know, feel or learn what it would feel like to feel safe enough to make that decision. I know mm -hmm. I just went to two different questions there, but first <laughs> this question and then explaining. Well, I think they are. Um, so what comes to mind um, from your first question of just like, how did the transition look like after? So I quit the nine to five and then what? Um, for me, really the past two years, uh, have evolved and I would summarize them as nervous system upgrades. So, and this is the theme of this month for me. And I imagine that I'll take it into March as well of just really understanding how much work I've already done on my nervous system and how much work is still left for me to really reach those higher levels of service, of caring for others of holding space of, you know, reaching new levels in my business it all comes back to us. And I believe that it comes back to our nervous system and how safe we feel to take on those new things. So I love that you mentioned the aspect of safety, because I think the biggest thing that happens when we are running on empty for too long, when we're anxious, overwhelmed, stressed, burnt out, depression starts, right? All of these things kind of layer one on top of the other. What ends up happening is our body is telling us that it's not safe to be who we are. It's not safe to be fully self-expressed. And of course, we can't create change and start a business or quit a job or say yes to ourselves or travel, start a new relationship, whatever it might be, if our own body is telling us that it's literally not safe to pursue those things that we really want to do. It's not safe to be in the body. It's not safe to be who we are. And I know that for me, it was felt so strongly, again, reflecting back on those years in corporate when I would wake up and I would literally wake up with a gasp, <laughs> you know, I would snooze mm -hmm. the alarm and then I was like, okay, it's time to start oh, and man. it's time to go and it's time to do this all over again. And then falling asleep, just crashing, you know, from like complete, I've had, I have no juice left in my body. And then again, starting the day from that same yeah. place of, you know, the alarm rings. And then you look at your calendar and there's 12 meetings on it because for some reason we just had 30 minute back-to-back -back meetings all day long sometimes. And it just 
puts you in that state of constantly being on high alert, constantly being activated. Um, you know, we talk about triggers a lot. What, what are triggers? It's just all these things in our surroundings that send a signal that it's not safe. You know, something is not safe. Uh, to me, this almost like test of how uh, agitated the nervous system is, is if I were to knock over this cup of tea on the ground and it shattered, what response would be created in the body? Would I just be overcome with this jolt or would I just kind of look at it and say, okay, time to clean it up. Right. And for many of us coming from, again, years of being constantly on, constantly having notifications, emails, all of these things, morning to night, it puts us in that state. And so I think I had done quite a bit of work, exactly what you said, through small daily changes of just chipping away at my health and that upgrade to the nervous system, feeling safe, more and more safe every day through things like yoga and meditation and community, um, I think was really helpful. Just having really supportive people in my life to have conversations with that's such a healing modality. Mm -hmm. Um, so up until I was ready to quit, I had already done a great deal of work. Uh, what I didn't know is that a whole new level of work was about to begin on the other side of quitting because now I am the one relying on my own income. I'm the one relying on finding clients and really speaking to them and then seeing the value in healing themselves as well. And so it's like a whole new level was reached uh, of growth that I was then called to do. So when we met in Tulum, um, I mean, to an extent, I was still doing quite a bit of work on myself. It was just totally new modalities of work. I never had access oh, yeah. to breath work. Um, previously on the same level that we do here in Tulum. I've dabbled in breath work throughout my time in New York. Um, I had access to a couple classes here and there, but really starting to come face to face with these non-ordinary states of consciousness is something that is still fairly new to me as a result of the past two years and really my time here in Tulum. Um, I also had a chance to just explore so many new things, cold exposure, which is so beneficial to the nervous system and to the body. Um, psychedelic therapy is something that I myself benefited from before I started working in this environment. And all of these things are really helpful to just continue to reach new and new levels of growth. And right now with it being almost March, of 2022, um, I've done more work than I ever have in the past couple of years while building my business. I've gone to, you know, Joe Dispenza retreats. I've done so many different healing ceremonies and, um, again, exploring so many different ways to heal the body. And so I was actually having this conversation with another friend who's a coach, um, last, last week, I believe. And, I was, you know, I was saying, I think we've done it all. I think we've done all there is to do as far as <laughs> personal development and healing modalities and exploring those that are available to us today. And we talked about that. And, you know, he said, I think it's really still reaching higher and higher levels of feeling more and more safe in the body, continuing to do the work on yourself of letting go of any of those remaining layers of stress, of limiting beliefs that we carry with us from the past and just continuing to do that work. And 
I think I'm really sitting with the fact that it's a, you know, a lifelong journey. And even though I feel like I've done so many of these things, it's like every single time I do something new, it's like, oh my gosh, there's more left. (laughs) And it's almost like a feeling of excitement and also like despair. Like Mm -hmm. really there's more left to work Uh through. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think we all like on that journey, we have those moments where like, I thought I healed this or like, I thought there was, I thought I, I thought I was healed. Like I, I've been through that in the past where I'm like, I thought I was healed. And, and then there's something that comes along that tests you. Yeah. Like whether it's starting a business or a relationship or, you know, whatever situation that you're faced with, then a lot of the things can come to the surface. So for you, did any of that look like emotional and inner child work? Because I know you mentioned emotional earlier that you've leaned more in that direction recently. Um, Did any of that help you along this journey? Because I know that taking a leap like that can be scary for like super scary for some people because of you know certain ways that they grew up that contribute to how they respond to spontaneous decisions or tough decisions so do you want to speak a little bit on that yeah you're super intuitive with that too because um so I grew up in Ukraine and definitely a lot of that safety concern comes from my upbringing. And we all know that, you know, the years from birth up to seven, and even, you know, before you're a teenager, those are super formative years. Um, Even, you know, looking all the way out to when we're in our forties and fifties and onwards, a lot of times still the things that shape us are those things from childhood. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm actually diving into a great deal of that right now as well. Mm -hmm. As I continue to ask myself, you know, what other ways can I heal the nervous system? How else can I feel more and more safe with myself and in my body and these nervous system upgrades that I mentioned, Mm -hmm. but it's funny. I'm learning how to ride a bike for the first time in my life. No way. Um, It was never accessible to me because our roads in Ukraine are pretty bad. And regardless of even if the roads were fine, something that was really instilled in me, I feel when I was a child is that it's not safe to be outside by yourself. Mm -hmm. Where am I even going to go? Where am I going to ride a bike to? I mean, we used to always play like heavily supervised, like making sure that I was, I don't think, maybe I've gone to a friend's house a couple times in my childhood, truly. And it's really interesting to just sit with that and digest it and think about that, you know, how privileged we are to be living where we are right now and to be free to travel and feel safe with ourselves and with the communities that we're in. Yeah. But yeah, that was really, you know, people ask me like, you never had a bike? Did you just not want to? Like what happened? And I was like, you know, I think there's a number of like surface level reasons for that. But deep down inside, it was like my parents' fear for my safety of me being outside by myself. And that all imprints on us, right? When we're children. So not only did it feel like riding a bike itself is a scary activity because I'll fall and I'll hurt myself and all of those you know, tangible physical concerns, but it's also like the, what if, you know, what's going to happen if I go outside, where am I going to go? Who's out there? So it's all this like language around the world being a scary place that really imprints and stays with us. So Mm -hmm. I'm literally working through that right now. I tried, um, a couple of (laughs) times to ride a bike uh, a couple of days ago, actually, I'm still sore from it. And 
to I intend to continue. <laughs> Everyone's riding bikes in Tulum. It's such a big culture there to ride. It bikes. is. And, you know, I posted about it on my Instagram and I actually got so many supportive messages of people saying, I just learned this year. It's hard for me too. Oh, wow. I don't know how to swim. I've always felt like swimming is really hard. And so, yeah, it's these things that we still carry from childhood that I'm excited to keep working through because I am definitely committed to learning how to ride a bike. It's going to make my life so much easier. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think a lot of that comes from, you know, the things that we carry now come from our inner wounds from childhood and from the work that you and I do and are so passionate about with breath work. We also know that some of it isn't even something we have a tangible memory of. It could uh -huh, go back to when we were one year old. It could go back to birth. Mm -hmm. It could go back past birth, which is so fascinating that we're finally learning how these things, again, imprint on us, the childhood trauma, the birth trauma. You know, I think it's really fascinating for us to really understand our birthing process. If we have access, you know, if, if we have parents who are able to share that with us, mm -hmm. it kind of makes sense and connections from that. And at first it feels almost like, you know, supernatural, like no way is that something that would impact us, but it's the same body. It's the same body that went through that back when we were our most fragile and vulnerable. And so of course it makes sense that some of that may still be with us even as adults. Um, and so yeah, I, I love that question. I feel like I'm, that's also part of the reason why, you know, I've done a lot of work on things that have happened when I was a teenager, things from my early twenties, from college and working through those, because we can access those cerebrally. We can think back on memories. We can, you know, create a lot of new discoveries in deep meditation. Uh, I've done a ton of personal development work, lots of seminars and all of that that's been accessible, I feel like has been accessed and kind of like excavated by me. Mm -hmm. And now it's going, you know, deeper into those parts mm -hmm. that might be really stored away beyond being accessible consciously. Um, so I'm excited to, to keep the work going. <laughs> yeah, awesome. What do you think opened you up to go this deep? Because a lot of, how do I word this? it's scary to go deeper, right? So even a lot of people, even myself in the past, avoided it, even subconsciously avoided going that deep. And started. I started also, same as you, focusing only on physical, just like, you know, your diet, right? Um, and then I slowly moved even deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into, you know, this inner child work and breath work and emotional healing. Um, so do you think that it was like gradually that the work started to open you up or crack you open a little bit more into this? Yeah, that's such a beautiful question. And when you first asked it, I actually had no idea what to respond with. But what's really coming through for me now is that one of my overarching traits, it comes up on my human design, it comes up you know, my partners um, from the past and my current boyfriend, I think would uh, agree that this is like a really vivid character trait of mine, but it's curiosity. Mm. And I think that is reflected in my diverse background around wellness. I'm interested in anything and everything and really understanding kind of like diving in on how it works and how it 
scientifically and tangibly affects us. I love that. I love going down to like the cellular level. If we're talking breath work, I love to understand what's happening in our blood when we breathe with, you know, a lot of intention, a lot of vigor. So curiosity has been something that I was, I think born with, honestly, I don't know where else it comes from. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, even, uh, you know, on things that are a little bit more um, esoteric and spiritual side, like human design, I, this is a character trait that comes up so strongly. And for me, I think diving deep on my own stuff, on my own, you know, trauma, whatever it might be, I just approach it from curiosity first and foremost. And I had this realization with a friend, him and I have done a lot of work together. Um, It's actually Patrick, um, a mutual friend of ours. (laughs) Um, We go to a lot of events together. We've traveled a bunch together. Uh, We always just kind of say, yes, you know, something comes up and it's kind of like uncertain where is this going to go? We're just like, yes, let's just do it. And he actually said it that he's done a lot of personal development work and seminars and just like read and and researched so much different things and done them himself because of nudges from me. And that helped me really realize that I still have the fear. It's very much still there. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm tangibly afraid every time I've been getting on the bicycle. I'm tangibly afraid every time, you know, I'm about to go into a cold plunge or something. Mm-hmm. Fear is a very natural thing that we all feel. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a lot of it. I mean, I'm afraid of heights and I've jumped off like a 65 foot pole um, at a personal development event. Um, (laughs) So just as an example, but there's, there's tons of fear that I do feel. And I feel that jolt and that kind of reaction that I have in my body when that happens. But I just, I have the curiosity that kicks in and I'm like, Mm -hmm. I just want to know what's on the other side of it. I want to live that experience so that I could describe it to people. There's nothing more exciting for me than sharing a story that I've uncovered with someone and either leaving them with something important, leaving some sort of an impact on them, perhaps nudging them to do the same. Um, And I think, you know, curiosity and a beginner's mind are core concepts of mindfulness meditation. We always ask, you know, beginning practitioners of meditation who feel like meditating is really difficult to just approach it with non-judgment and with curiosity. And that's one of the most important things that I think I really solidified as a result of my meditation background is anytime you feel fear well, why not just approach it with a curious mind, right? Why not just ask it where it's coming from or why it's there or what it can teach us? And I think at this point, having done that over and over and over again, I've uncovered so Mm -hmm. many fascinating things from diving in on the fears that I now have that to look back on. So every time I approach something new, um, I have that in the back of my mind as just like additional reinforcement for why I tap in, why I choose to tap in. So it's really just a muscle. It's about repetition. It's about trying over and over again. Everything you just said, like you're, (laughs) you're describing me like, and the reason that it's hitting me so hard right now is because um, I've kind of disconnected from that part of me for a little while. And now you're reminding me just the way that you described it is like reminding me of what made me feel the most alive is like diving into things that scare me, like, like jumping out of a plane or jumping off. It doesn't have to be just physical. It's like speaking in front of an audience when that's one of the scariest things for me, you know, like 
stepping out of my comfort zone, you know, and showing my brain like you're alive, you're still alive. Look, you did it. You're still alive. And then that leading me to doing other things and me like me meeting you was from one decision in the past that I made out of my comfort zone. And then the next one and the next one and the next one, it was just like a domino effect and led me to doing what I'm doing right now, talking to you. So I love that. I love yeah. Um, Thank you for all of that. That was amazing. Um, now getting into how you, all of that led you to now psychedelic therapy um, I don't know how, how deep you want to go into that, but I'm very interested in that because this summer I went to a yoga festival and I saw this booth that said something about ketamine. And I was like, that kind of sounds scary, but I, I was like asking questions and then they told me a little bit about it. So now I'm like extremely curious. Yeah. So personally, I dove into psychedelics for the first time as a result of being here in Tulum. That's one of the healing modalities that I explored for myself. And that actually helped me connect with so many parts that I previously couldn't access before. So mm. it really helps us drop into the subconscious. It blurs the line between, you know, accessing the subconscious that is usually very, our analytical mind is usually always on during our days. And that blocks our access to the subconscious. Mm -hmm. And what's fascinating too, is that's really a protection mechanism that we have. 95% mm -hmm. of our life is lived from the subconscious, but we're completely unaware of that because we're mm -hmm. just living from that 5% of our conscious mind. And so that's where for some of us who are more analytical, that protection mechanism is even more strong. So we hear of people who maybe, you know, can't meditate. It's too hard. Their brain is always on people who may say that they're not susceptible to um, altered states or hypnosis. Um, we know hypnosis is a healing modality that specifically helps drop into the subconscious and mm. heal the things that are going on there. So for some people, it's a lot harder. And so the way I think about psychedelics is it's something that helps open that door and how much that door is open depends on how ready you are, uh, the state that you're in, the place in your life, and of course, the medicine itself. Um, I mean, dosage, the set, the setting, the person that is guiding your experience matters a great deal. So sometimes that door is blown wide open <laughs> if you feel ready for it and if it's your time to learn those things that are coming through and coming up. Sometimes it's just a little bit ajar, you know, like it's just opening and we're kind of dipping in and seeing what's behind the door. Um, and then sometimes we choose to just close it. We're not ready to go there yet. Something I hear from my clients often is literally in these non-ordinary states of consciousness where they actually see a door and they see it in front of them and they're feeling like they're reaching for it and they're trying to go there, but they're not quite getting there. And mm -hmm. that's kind of a signal of, you know, the readiness mm -hmm. of how much work you've done up to that point and the readiness to receive the information matters a great deal. And then also, of course, for some clients, it's blown wide open and we just get so many incredible downloads of you know i now understand i now forgive my parents i yeah, see why yeah. they were the way that they are i see what i used to do as a child i see my you know adolescent behaviors and how they're still with me yeah. so there's such a rich mine of information that's there in the subconscious brain and so 
we can access that through deep work. We don't need medicine or anything to facilitate us getting there. We can get there through meditation. We can get there through breath work. I absolutely mm-hmm. believe that. Yeah. It just may take a little bit longer to warm up to that. Mm-hmm. But if anyone is absolutely not interested in taking any sort of substances, that's perfectly fine. You can reach those states. You can still do the work. There's so mm-hmm. much that's now available to us that we now scientifically know works. But the way I think of psychedelics, again, is just that it, it helps facilitate the opening of that, um, of that door to the subconscious. And so I work specifically with ketamine. It is the um, only currently widely available psychedelic drug uh, available for the treatment of depression and anxiety in the U.S. So it's available through the oh, company I that, that I guide experiences with. It's available in 17 states. Um, and if anyone is interested in that, I'm sure, you know, they can reach out to me on Instagram. We'll share that later. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reason it's so helpful in healing is just focusing on ketamine for a moment specifically is that it helps rewire the brain. So what happens when we are in the stress state, when we're feeling anxious for prolonged periods of time, when we're maybe coming out of burnout or trauma, all of these things actually change our brain chemistry. And we know that because that's what antidepressants are there for is try to regain some of that balance um, by focusing on really specific parts of the brain. Uh, We know that antidepressants don't work for everyone. They actually work for about 50 to 55% of people who take them feel a benefit from them. So not to discount those at all, but we are also leaving a lot of healing on the table as far as everyone who these things, um, these traditional medicines don't work for. And Mm -hmm. so that's where psychedelic medicine is coming to the forefront of real medicine. It's being studied, it's being researched. There's tons of studies around MDMA and psilocybin and ketamine for treatment of specific mental health disorders. Um, PTSD specifically responds super well to MDMA, for example. This is being mm. researched by MAPS, uh, which is a uh, organization out of California, the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. They have an amazing website, so much, so much, such a wealth of, of knowledge on their research studies. Um, Johns Hopkins is doing the same. They have a multi-million dollar fund to research psychedelic medicine specifically for mental health disorders. So there's a variety of things that are coming that are just on the horizon in the next couple of years. Um, Psilocybin, I think, will be really close by following ketamine. Um, But ketamine has just been um, available already. It's already here. Um, It's accessible through a prescription. And the reason it works is in that rewiring process we're wiring the brain away from the states of trauma, away from negativity, away from uh, that constant state of being triggered um, towards more positivity, more creativity. And that's literally done on the level of the brain by creating new neural pathways. So um, I'll, again, I'll just focus on speaking to ketamine specifically. It's so beautiful to see that shift in people where you may wake up under just a cloud of depression and it's with you the whole day and you see the same things, you know, you see your coworkers, you even see your partner, your pets, and it's, you're just under this cloud. And then over time, that cloud just lifts because you're starting to see things in a new light. That's literally that rewiring process Um, in a depressed brain the parts of the brain that used to communicate with one another stop communicating with one another due to that disruption in the chemical balance. And so ketamine almost like brings the brain back into wholeness 
And I've actually heard after certain sessions that my clients have had where, um, you know, some, someone coming out of it says, I almost tangibly felt my brain starting to communicate the different parts with one mm. another that I never thought was possible. So wow. that's kind of like the quick um, story about how psychedelics work. Um, and it's just been, it's just been so fascinating to see that change happen so much more rapidly than traditionally we would see even after four sessions, you know, spanning about a month, someone can start reporting marked differences in how they feel daily. How, so how do they take it? Is it like in the form of a pill or? Yeah. So with ketamine specifically, there are three delivery methods. So IV infusions, which are intramuscular, those have been available as well for um, some time. Those are available throughout different clinics um, for in-person care. So that is where someone would come in. They would be guided on about one to two hours through an infusion. Someone is there with them, a nurse practitioner, for example, and coming out of it, they feel that slight shift. Um, the shift kind of comes over days and weeks, especially as you continue treatment, you just start noticing again and seeing things in a different light. That's one of the delivery mechanisms. Then there's also nasal um, ketamine. It's called S-ketamine. It's actually um, also available by prescription. That's a different delivery mechanism. So through the nose, through the, um, uh, through the blood-brain barrier there. And that one uh, also specifically has a number of benefits for depression. It's really effective for some people. And the ketamine that I work with through, again, the company that I partner with um, that I'm a psychedelic um, integration guide for, it is tablets that are rapidly dissolving. You place them underneath your tongue. You hold the saliva in your mouth. So that's the absorption mechanism there. Um, you spit out the saliva and then for about an hour you are in uh, for some people, a deep meditative state. For some, it goes all the way to more dissociative effects. Um, but yeah, those are kind of the three different ways with ketamine specifically. Wow. I'm like so fascinated right now. Um, so when they take it, are you on, you're talking to them, like you're guiding them through the session or... Yeah, so something that's been missing in psychedelic care for some time is really this focus on integration. So um, yeah. a few things to really focus on to make this whole experience therapeutic as opposed to just recreational is focusing on safety. So making sure that the patient feels ready to receive the experience. So that's where, you know, we kind of gauge how ready they are, what their intention is, what they hope to gain from this, knowing that they may receive quite a bit of potentially overwhelming information that's coming mm. from their childhood, from their past, from past traumas, whatever it might be. So gauging their readiness level, uh, making sure that they feel safe and supported in the space that they're in when they take it, and then really focusing on integration of the experience. Because usually mm. in more traditional settings, even, um, you know, you and I know, again, from places like Tulum mm -hmm. and some other places in the world, which are kind of seen as these like healing centers mm -hmm. uh, in the world. Uh, we have the ceremony and we get the insights, but we're really left with them alone. Mm -hmm. And for many people, again, depending on the depth of the experience, that could almost be kind of a, a detrimental effect mm -hmm. of psychedelics, you know, without that additional evolving care after the experience, uh, we're left with something that could almost 
prove to set us back or kind of mm. unhinge us. Yeah. And we look to minimize that as much as possible. We focus on integrating. So I'm with the patient before they take the medicine, making sure again, they feel safe, supported, they know exactly what to do with the medicine, how to take it, you know, how to be safe, how to mitigate any uh, negative impacts uh, and side effects. And then after the experience, we reconnect back. So immediately after we talk about what they felt, how the experience was, uh, by the way, also before and after we take blood pressure. So again, bringing, you know, extra care into this, um, they go through a psychiatric evaluation prior as well. So making sure oh, that they don't awesome. have any conditions that would disqualify them from this specific type of treatment. In some instances that in-person IV um, care uh, could be just better for people who are experiencing um, more severe depression. And uh, so, yeah, that psychiatric evaluation happens before we talk about uh, any medications that they need to pause on day of treatment that might interact with the medicine. Um, so, again, a lot of things that are typically not present in traditional mm -hmm. um, ceremonial psychedelic settings, which I think is just so important to have. Mm -hmm. And then we integrate a small amount afterwards, and then we have additional integration calls afterwards to really start to journal, reflect uh, make sense of what their insights from the non-ordinary state of consciousness are to their day-to-day -day life. That's really the connection that we want to make is from that psychedelic state, again, that could be reached with psychedelics or with breath work or with deep mm -hmm. meditation. We want to start to make sense of what does that mean for us and the way that we live our life daily. That's that important connection that sometimes is missing that we really want to make sure is there to create lasting change. Yeah. And not even just that, but like you going through those experiences, it's like almost like reliving a really tough time in your life all over again. Mm -hmm. And a lot of our pain comes from, can come from, you know, not feeling enough, not feeling loved or not feeling safe in the past. Right. Mm -hmm. But now if you go through an experience like this with the ketamine, like, or meditation or breath work and all this stuff comes up and you have someone like you, who is there to make them feel supported, to make them feel heard, to make them feel seen in what they're experiencing or talking about that completely, that in and of itself is a healing experience. Yeah, absolutely. I think with, you know, traditional talk therapy, ideally that is the goal of it. Right. But we know that mm -hmm. sometimes people will stay in that space for such a long time, you know, 10 years or more of mm -hmm. just talk therapy. And it's important to explore other ways to access what might be holding us back. But at the same time, when we do, and when we drop into those places, mm -hmm. oftentimes traditional therapy can't really support that because we think of it as just hallucinating. When in reality, what might be happening is we are, like you said, living through past traumatic moments uh, the brain is trying to make sense of these events in abstract ways. Mm -hmm. That's why we've traditionally discounted non-ordinary states of consciousness is we just think of them as, again, hallucinations or things that we can't really derive meaning from. But what we think is it's actually the brain making sense and processing the events that have happened to you in the past. It's kind of similar to dreaming. You know, I've gone to a couple of really fascinating dream workshops in the past of uh, dream experts explaining what happens to us when we're dreaming. And over and over, what the common explanation is, is that 
our brain is faced with so much and especially like really um, important, impactful, potentially traumatic, but not necessarily events in our life that really need to be processed by the brain. That avenue for the brain typically is the dream state. And of course, again, we wake up and we're like, I was being chased by a giant bird. Like, what might that mean? Yes, it's completely abstract, but it doesn't mean that there's no value in it because it's coming again from the brain, probably from the subconscious mind. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think processing those experiences in a safe and supported way where you feel comfortable sharing exactly what happens, even if it's you saying that you communicated with a dead relative, Mm -hmm. uh, we want to make sure that that's, that person feels heard and feels supported and not discounted um, as again would potentially traditionally happen um, with different mental health care. So, mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> I'm like trying to process all this information because it's just so fascinating to me hearing like a new way that people can use because ketamine, this isn't going to be for everyone. But if this calls to you, then it's likely that it will help you with the right person. And you seem like you're really passionate. I mean, you are obviously you're very passionate about what you do and you've come a long way in this, in this whole healing journey of your own. So having you as a person to support them through this and through breath work and meditation, you have all these tools that would just be a very powerful experience. anyone thank you yeah and you know the after dropping into the psychedelic integration work i started to look at meditation and breath work in a different light as well because i think there's a lot of responsibility there that i may not even have been present with before Mm. in understanding that these experiences do sometimes drop people in to those non-ordinary states that need additional care and support. And so integrating them is just as important as psychedelic, really deep dissociative experiences because it's all valid. It's all our healing process. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think it all just comes back to, you know, holding space for someone to be seen and heard Um, that on its own. If someone just really feeling comfortable to process, even just like stream of consciousness or, you know, share what they've been journaling on, as a result of any of these different ways of healing, um, that on its own has so much value. Mm-hmm. So. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing all of that. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating. And you've inspired me in a lot of ways just by sharing this. And you're going to inspire a lot of people by sharing this and open people's minds with your different ways of helping people. Like for anyone who's listening, who feels apprehensive around the psychedelics, what would you say to them? I think it doesn't have to be one way or the other, right? Everyone's healing journey looks different. And I would say that, especially with psychedelics, your body knows if it's time, Mm -hmm. if you feel any curiosity, if you feel a pinch of curiosity right now, it might be a yes on the horizon for you. If you feel an absolute no, don't worry. Maybe it's not your time. Maybe your time will come. Maybe it won't. And that's okay too. I think with psychedelics, you really have to answer the call Mm -hmm. as opposed to 
like kind of forcing it upon yourself because someone else has done it or it looks, you know, interesting or feels hip, or you've seen an advertisement for it now, as it starts to become more and more prominent, um, it really has to be honoring your own intuition and saying yes to what feels right for you. Because again, you know, going back to, there are so many new, amazing things that are being researched that are constantly coming to the forefront, right? Tapping, um, again, cold exposure, meditation, breathwork, yoga, so, so many amazing things. All of those could be your medicine for whatever it is that you are seeking healing from, or just elevating your current state of of being. doesn't have to be necessarily like heavy healing trauma, right? It could just Mm. be light exploration and for that next level in life. It doesn't always have to be so hard and heavy and challenging. Mm -hmm. So whatever calls to you, And if nothing calls to you right now, that's okay too, because it's just a matter of exploring, inviting in that curiosity. And if you are ever faced with that decision of, should I try this out? Should I go through with this? If you feel that, if you feel the curiosity is more than the fear, it might be a time to say yes. It might be a growth opportunity for you. An amazing question I always nudge my clients towards is, on that decision point of choosing to take on something that might feel challenging or scary, I would ask yourself, is this a place of growth or is this my shock zone? Is this my growth zone or is this my shock zone? If it's your shock zone, that's okay. Backing away. It doesn't have to happen right now. If it's your growth zone, recognizing that too, and knowing that there's probably still some fear in there, just seeing if it, if it would be okay to pursue. I love that. I love, love, love that. That simple question to ask yourself. Like recently, I was around people who were doing hape. And I've never done that before. But I've always wanted to do it. I still want to do it. And my like, curious self wanted to just be like, no, let me do it. But I stopped myself like my body's I'm just not in the right space to do it. And I said no, and the old me would have just done it just to say I've done it just to because I like experiencing everything I could experience. Yeah. And I love to have a person like you in my life who shares that, you know, I do think it's kind of maybe a rare uh, (laughs) thing to, to honor and to really lean into just that curiosity at all costs. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe not at all costs. You obviously have to exercise our intuition as well of what goes right and, and feel into that and honor that. But yeah, I'm really glad to to have you in my life. (laughs) Likewise girl. Um, so where can people find you? Like, what are you offering right now that people could work with you? Yeah. So if you are interested in the psychedelic side of things, I would just say, reach out to me. It is done through a completely third party company that I partner with. Um, again, with that work, I'm a psychedelic integration guide. Now, outside of that, if maybe you have psychedelic experiences from the past that you feel are unprocessed in any way, I do offer integration as a standalone coaching offering where we intentionally go back through any of those experiences that you feel like there's still something left there for you um, and really start to make sense of them and be intentional with them. So almost as though you know, I employ a lot of the tools that I do with my current patients who are going through treatment Um, with those who have 
ceremonies and psychedelic experiences from the past, or really any non-ordinary states of consciousness experiences from the past that are left unprocessed, because I think it's so important to fully give them the space to be processed. Um, outside of that, my own coaching work, um, I guide meditation and breath work and just do wellness coaching one-on-one. -on -one. A lot of that is focused on nervous system healing and health. So I work with a lot of people in the corporate environment now, speaking to my own former background. So um, we choose what's right for each individual. Um, for some, it's meditation and mindfulness. For some, it's breath work. For some, it's uh, mindful movement. So being gentle with where each person is in their healing journey. Um, and yeah, and to find me, um, really Instagram is where I'm most active and it's some of all positive on Instagram. So that's S U M of all positive, some of all positive on Instagram. It's also my website, some of all positive.com, but, um, really anything that you need me for, um, can be accessed through Instagram. And then my email is Marina at some of all positive.com. Um, again, for any questions, because, like I said, this is a lot of responsibility. And if you do have any questions, um, please reach out. Uh, you know, there's a lot that comes up in this area and specifically with, um, you know, different medicines that you may be interested in. And I would much rather someone listening to this just reach out and I'll send, you know, a couple of voice notes their way to just steer them in the right direction and someone really, you know, trying to figure out on their own or um, going into any unsafe routes that we want to avoid so amazing thank you so much for the work that you're doing for yeah, the world thank you for having me and <laughs> honestly what you're doing for the people who are trying medicines and need that support like integration being honestly the most important part of all these types of things even breath work mm -hmm. you're doing great things so thank you so much mm -hmm. Thank you. For what you do and for sharing your story. Thank you, Christina. Thanks for having me. Of course. Bye, Chico. Bye.